what is going on? Happy trade deadline day, and welcome to Chatterbox Reds. My name is Nick Kirby. Chatterbox Reds is your daily home for live post-game shows after every Reds game on YouTube and podcasts like you're listening to right now, always available bright and early the morning after every Reds game. We are presented, as always, by Betfred Sportsbook. Well, the Reds and Cubs, first of four at Wrigley, but before the game, both teams made a trade right before the game got started. More on that in a moment. In the top of the second, it was a two-out rally for the Reds. Votto singled, then Christian Encarnacion Strand singled, and then Will Benson doubled. That made it one nothing. And then Luke Maley really put the hurting on Cubs starter Marcus Stroman, all-star Cubs starting pitcher Marcus Stroman. Maley doubled. That made it 3 nothing, just like that, Cincinnati. Bottom of the second, Andrew Abbott did give up a solo home run to Dansby Swanson, but the Reds were right back at it in the third. Top of the third, TJ Friedel with a leadoff walk. He got to second base on a fielder's choice. Then Jake Fraley singled him home. That made it 4-1 Reds. Jake Fraley then stole third. Spencer Steer walked. Joey Votto singled. That made it 5-1 Reds, and then a CES RBI ground out made it 6-1. Reds put up six runs early on Marcus Stroman, and they would need all six. Andrew Abbott, he did struggle a little bit. He gave up three more runs, and he didn't make it out of the fourth, but he did leave with the Reds leading 6-4. Andrew Abbott's final line on the day, three and a third innings pitched, five hits, four earned runs, three walks, five strikeouts. But the Reds' bullpen, it was great once again. Buck Farmer got five outs. Fernando Cruz got two outs, both strikeouts. Alex Young got an out. Lucas Sims, he put runners on first and second to start the inning, but bounced back, struck out two, and pitched a scoreless seventh. Ian Jabot, in the eighth, he did give up a run, and that cut the Reds' lead to 6-5, but he got out of the inning without any further damage. And then Alexis Diaz looked great in the ninth. Perfect inning. Reds win 6-5. Reds now 59-49, and 10 games above 500 going into August 1st. Brewers lost 5-3 to the Nationals, so the Reds are now a game and a half up in the NL Central. And their lead over the third-place Cubs is back up to four games. Well, the Reds did not hit a home run on Monday, but our deep drive of the day was Will Benson's triple in the eighth inning. It was at 103.1 off the bat. And our deep drive of the day is sponsored by Deep South Commodities. DSC is a leader in renewable commodities for biofuels production, specializing in used cooking oil collection, aggregation, and sales. Visit www.deepsouthcommodities.com for more information. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Deep South Commodities. Looking through the box score, Will Benson, 2-for-4 with a double and a triple. Christian Encarnacion Strand, 2-for-4 with a double. Joey Votto was also 2-for-4, so the bottom of the Reds lineup really produced on Monday night at Wrigley. As mentioned, the Reds acquired left-handed reliever Sam Mole from the Oakland A's in exchange for Joe Boyle from AAA and also some international spending money. More on the acquisition of Moyle later in the show, but here's what Nick Crawl, Reds general manager, had to say about the acquisition and if the Reds might do anything else on Tuesday's trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice extra guy in the bullpen. He's left-handed, obviously, gets lefties out. 
He also has options uh, and, and control as well. Good fastball, uh, good breaking ball, has a chance to miss bats, especially in our ballpark. How can we better our team? I think we're looking at things, you know, whether it's offense, uh, uh, offense, defense, starting relief, it, it, whatever it is that we can make our team better, we're, we're looking at it. And here was one of the heroes from Monday, Luke Maley, talking about the Reds' big win and the acquisition of a new reliever. Yeah, you said it. I mean, I think um, when you play on a winning team or, you know, if you're winning games, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to be in those spots. And um, I think a lot of them have kind of had, like, baptism by fire with it, and they've handled it really well. Um, you guys do add to that bullpen another lefty. I don't know if you knew that uh, before the game. So uh, it, it, what does it mean at the trade deadline? You've been around a long time. When you do get reinforcements. Well, I mean, we're – we're really lucky to be in a spot where we're looking for, some, you know, any help we can get, right? But the guys we've had have played really, really well. Any sort of additions we get, I'm sure, will be a huge bonus. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're just we're just worried about winning tomorrow's game. That's all there is to it. What did you see from Andrew tonight? Um, he was fine. I thought that they kind of ambushed his heater um, a couple times up in. Um, breaking stuff just wasn't quite finishing like it normally does. And uh, we just didn't land quite as as many quality pitches as normal, but uh, he fought through it and he gave us, you know, everything he had, kept us in the game, more than in the game, uh, the way we were scoring runs early and uh, it proved to be enough. So that second offensively had to be kind of great just to keep adding to it. Yeah. Oh, guys. definitely. I mean, that's the way you got to do it. You know, it seems like the tying run always finds a way to come to the plate no matter how many you get. So you just you just keep on trying to have good at-bats and stack one one brick on top of the other. It's heavy as Farmer, Jibo. And uh, obviously, Alexis have been used. What does it say? Just that they keep coming back and they keep getting a job done for the most part. I mean, it's a it's a testament to the way that they've prepared and the way that they've been able to make adjustments. I mean, uh, you you always want to stick with your strengths as a pitcher, but uh, every once in a while, there's times where you, you kind of have to flip the script on somebody, and they've done a good job and they've picked the right times to do that. And uh, hopefully, it'll continue. All right, and here is myself and Trace Fowler discussing Monday night's big win for the Cincinnati Reds on Chatterbox Reds Live on YouTube. We had an unbelievable turnout for our live show. Can't thank you enough. Hope you'll join us again for a live show soon. But here's part of our show. What I would call this is, is, is pure happiness. Because I realize, I'm not saying that you didn't realize it. I realized the Cubs were hot. They were hot. They were, they, they were just down in the dumps and they were rising. They were just going like this. You know what? I was like, if they win tonight, man, they're only three back. And they got three games left in the series. And you know what? I'm not saying no matter what happens the rest of the series, it doesn't matter. Because it does. But by God, you want to talk about a huge game. Tonight was a huge baseball game. I'm not going to say it anymore. All right. Offense is cooking. It was cooking, Nick. But it kind of sputtered a little bit there. Uh, you're, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't want to doubt. It, it's almost like, are, is that just a natural thing in baseball where the averages always pan out to where you scored so many runs in the first two innings? It just It's like, ah, it's tough tough to muster up some more in the late innings because I didn't think they had that many good swings against Assad. Is that, is that the guy's name? I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. Yes, Javier Assad. But boy, did they take Stroman to the absolute woodshed. And you know who was feeling it? The Cowboy. The Cowboy was feeling himself a little bit tonight in the first few innings. I digress. You got anything else to add about the offense cooking before I, you know? What was that? It was really the bottom of the order, which was cool to see. You know, Votto, uh, two hits, CES, two hits, Benson, two hits. Uh, Luke Maley had that huge double that really, that was with two outs. I mean, that made it three nothing. Uh, So it was just really great to see the bottom of the order produced. I mean, Marcus Sherman's a guy that came in with an ERA of three and a half. 
uh, coming in. I mean, he was an all-star this year. I know he's been struggling of late, but um, you, you didn't, you know, when you have a pitcher that's coming in that has struggled over his last, you know, five, six, seven starts, jump on him early. You know, don't let him get comfortable. Don't let him get settled in a home. And they didn't do that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, just a great performance against a good pitcher. And uh, it was really a great way to, to set the tone in this series where the Cubs have been playing well. And, uh, you know, you put them in their place like they should. Yeah, well, one thing I want to point out about the offense, in, in conjunction, uh, connection with the Super Chat, Christopher uh, Monk brings up a good point. Thank you for the Super Chat, Christopher. He said, we got some strike calls to go our way. I, I felt that way, too. I, I did. It, 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 it kind of felt like uh, the whole balancing act in Milwaukee series. It felt disgusting. It felt like we could not get anything to go our way. And tonight felt a little bit better. I, I Again, I haven't seen... I, I'd be curious to see what the, the umpire scorecard looks like tomorrow. I think it's probably going to be the Reds by like maybe like a maybe close to a run, maybe maybe a little more than a half run. Um, wouldn't shock me if it's more than a run though, because they they got they got some fortunate breaks there with the strike zone. Here's here's where I'm at with the offense. I think that this team, if anything, runs the bases. Ex- they, I don't want to say extremely well, but they they do such a good job of of really pushing the envelope when it comes to running the bases. Now. I do think we caught a little bit of a break with Joey Votto going first to third there. Is that a smart baseball play? Probably not. Probably not. It's one of those things where since it worked out, no one's going to say a whole lot about it. If it didn't work out and he gets thrown out at third right there with two outs in the inning, making that the third out, none of those runs happen. None of that None of that two-out rally happens. Now, you could always say, hypothetically speaking, if he had stayed at second base instead of going to third, maybe they would have gotten different pitches, blah, 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 blah. But let's be honest. It wasn't the best baseball move. But you know what? I at least I at least commend this team, Nick, because they run the bases a certain way. And you know what I do appreciate about what Joey Votto's done since he's come back is Joey Votto has taken or has, has put himself into the mold of what the team identity is. He's wearing his hat backwards. He's trying to take first and third. If this team wasn't it wasn't aggressive on the bases, Nick, I don't think I don't think Joey Votto even has any inclination of going first to third there. But since the young guys do it, he almost wants to be like them in a way. I really do feel that way. And and he's the guy going first to third now. So, you know, hey, it worked out for us. I don't I don't want to sit here and be a, a negative Nancy when when we win a big big baseball game, but but uh, I really do appreciate the way this team runs bases, and I think it—I I think it's one of the defining traits of our offense, if you will. Yeah, I mean that was probably not the 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 best decision there by Joey, but hey, back to back two back to back multi hit games. Also had a two hit game, uh, the series finale against Milwaukee. So uh, you know, Votto has looked a lot better of late, which is uh, certainly great to see. You know, it's it's felt like. It's felt like there's been a couple times where it's like, oh man, Votto's really starting to to get off the rails, and then boom, he just has a couple good games, and and uh, you know looks like I don't want to say Joey Votto of old, but looks like the the competitive Joey Votto that that we expect can um, still be an offensive contributor this year. Before we get too far into this, I have a quick question for you. Um, I think Scott David David brings it up in the chat. I think it's a good point. Fairchild start tomorrow. You think? Yeah, lefty. He better lefty? be in. Yeah, I th- I would assume he's in, right? They've had a lot of guys that have been playing a lot. So I mean, you know, you I would expect you're going to see Sinzel, you're going to see Newman, you're going to see Fairchild, and then you'll see uh, probably Fraley, Votto, and either Friedel or Benson. I think I think it'll be Friedel and Benson splitting 
off days, which is fine. I think I think one of those guys are fine against a lefty. I, I think two of them probably pushing it. Right. But both those guys, uh, you know, provide a little bit extra value. Friedel a lot more. I think Friedel's a really, really good defensive center fielder. And Friedel, hey, he had two walks today as well, you know, after a big game on Sunday. So good to see him at the top of the lineup, you know, producing a little bit as well. Yeah, I was going to say, moving on in here to Abbott in, in the bullpen, specifically Abbott, this is where this game started to feel gross, I guess, in a way. Uh, it feels like, at least from my perspective, it felt like a game that we kind of stole. And I know that sounds stupid when you jump on Stroman so early and you you go up by five runs, but it just felt like there for the longest time, we were neglecting chances to extend our lead, and we really didn't get a good start out of the guy that we that we are currently considering our ace. Now, will, will he be the ace come the very end of the year? I don't know. I mean, that's to be determined, but he's right now our number one guy. And when you when you give up or when you have the outing that he has and still win a baseball game, you're very fortunate. And it just felt like Abbott's control was not there. That 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 was the missing piece. And I I don't want to say that he doesn't his there's nothing really wrong here. It's just one of those nights where Abbott didn't have his have his uh, tr- traditional control. And he walked too many guys. I, I don't know how you felt about it, but he just straight up could not throw the ball over the plate. Abbott looked like a rookie for one of the few times this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he had that that one start against the Brewers where he got hit around a little bit and bounced right back the next start. So I, I would have no worries about him long term. I, I would say, you know, the, the Reds' inability to add on in this game, it was a little bit different of a game than I think a lot of other traditional games where you have a starter only go three innings. The next pitcher, Assad, I mean, he pitched three and two-thirds innings. So it was really just one pitcher that came in and dominated you. It wasn't like reliever after. It wasn't like the Reds did with reliever right. after reliever after reliever after reliever. Um, and Assad came in with a three-and-a-half ERA on the year. He came with this, almost an identical ERA as Stroman. Right. Um, obviously, doesn't have the same talent level, which is why he's in the the bullpen as their long guy versus in the rotation. But it's not like he was a terrible pitcher coming in. He's had some success this year, and he pitched well today. But that's yeah. why you you got you to gotta jump on these starters early. When you have a chance to you know jump on the starters early, um, especially guys that come in struggling, you got to do that because uh, you don't want them to get comfortable. And it's almost like with Stroman, it's kind of like a double win because obviously you have the success tonight, but right. Stroman came in struggling. He leaves feeling bad about himself again. And, you yeah. know, you, you, the next series, he it could have an effect on him, you know, a little bit longer. We have really, really relatively intelligent people that watch this show. Uh, Randy has mentioned this a couple times here. I see he's trying to get a little bit of a, a shout-out on stream. And then uh, Christopher Monk as well brings this up. Listen, he threw a lot of pitches last outing as well, did Andrew Abbott, right? He threw 113, whatever it was, 113, 116 pitches, whatever. I don't remember the exact number, but it was up there. And uh, that that can have a little bit of an effect on your next start. There's no doubt about it. You're, you, might, you might go into the next start uh, without throwing a bullpen session or a little side session or a short box and... You know, I, I don't know if Andrew Abbott changed his routine up and like he normally would just to try to give him a little extra rest, but that's possible too. Um, you know, I don't know if that's something that maybe the reporters would ask after the game. I doubt it, but but nonetheless, it's fair. It, it is fair to at least assume that his last outing might have had a little bit of an impact on this outing. I'm not. I'm not worried about him one iota. I don't want people to think that by any means. I'm just bringing up the fact that when you have a game from your starter go the way that it does when you when you expect something and you get something else 
uh, it can have a little bit of a wear and tear on the team. And, and I, I didn't expect them. I don't want to say I didn't expect them to win. But shout out to the bullpen. Uh, let's move on to them. Because I don't, I don't know if this is 100% always the truth. I'd be curious to ask a bunch of guys or pull people that were in the bullpen. I would like to suspect that the bullpen guys, they know who's going on the mound from a starting pitching perspective. It's kind of like sometimes in their mind, they might just be like, all right, fine, you know, we're probably going to get a little bit of an easier night. And I'm, 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 I'm again, it, this would have to be a poll. I'm just assuming, but I'm, I'm making a major assumption here that the bullpen guys, when Andrew Abbott's throwing, probably feel a little bit differently than when Luke Weaver's feeling. That's no offense to Luke Weaver or his family or, or anyone in his inner circle. I'm just saying there's a probably better chance that the bullpen's ready to go, per se, when Luke Weaver's on the mound. So shout out to them. They came in. They were lights out. And you know who impressed me the most was your your boy, your your ride or die. Cruz looked amazing, bro. I know he only threw two hitters, but my God, three hitters, three hitters total. He got two outs. He looked incredible, man. I mean, seriously, I don't, I don't, I don't say I don't know why they took him out because Alex Young came in and got the deal done. But damn, he looked good. He's a weapon. No, I, I like the that point about uh, Abbott. I mean, Abbott in uh, eight of his ten starts has gone six innings. Um, last two starts six and then eight. He had a start at this in in July where he went seven and two thirds innings. So, yeah, I mean, you you're expecting you know when Andrew Abbott pitches, uh, you're probably not expecting Fernando Cruz and Alex Young and Buck Farmer to pitch. It's probably Sims Jabot Diaz. That that seems like the back three at this point. Um. So yeah, I mean that, that's a good point. Uh, it's kind of wild has dominant as the Reds starting pitching's been of late. The one bad start in recent memory is Andrew Abbott, but that's I guess kind of how baseball goes. And I I would expect that Andrew Abbott will come back out this weekend against the Nationals and throw another you know six innings, two runs, something like that. When we get yeah. back to expecting out of him. I, I we do this all the time on the show. I don't really want to keep beating a dead horse with this bullpen, but it's the it's it's I think it's the greatest strength that this team has. I I, I I go back and forth on that sometimes. I do think that the youth energy that this team has, plus the base running, plus the offensive production from time to time, seems to always want to be like, oh, that's fun. Let's talk about that. Let's make that the, the bigger picture um, in regards to the the biggest thing that this team has going for it. But the more and more I really think about it, the bullpen more or less, in my opinion, has the most psychological impact on a baseball team. If the bullpen's bad, there's nothing quicker that can ruin the vibes of a clubhouse than a bad bullpen. You go out, you get a lead, you blow it. You go out, you have a chance to win a game late in innings, and then you blow it. And you do that a couple times within a week, Nick, and you're just starting to get to where, I don't want to say animosity builds up within a clubhouse, but there's no question that it that it's a little more demoralizing than going down four or five nothing in the first inning and then end up losing, right? Like, if the Cubs tonight, let's just hypothetically say, the way that, that we scored our runs was in reverse. The, and, and again, I'm not suggesting that, 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 that psychologically they couldn't never come back from it. But if you, on the back end of your games, give up runs on a very frequent basis and it causes you to lose games... There is no doubt in my mind that that ultimately over the course of a year adds up to more losses than your starting pitching not being as good. Now, do I have anything to back that up? Is that just a feel thing? Yes. Maybe there's some kind of analytical equation that someone could say, hey, actually, over the course of 20 years, this has actually been the case, and it's like 2% difference. I don't know. But you get my point there. I think that this team has survived some pretty bad spells largely because of their bullpen. 
Yeah, I mean the Reds are now twenty four and twenty one in one run games. What did they start one and seven? So that's what twenty three and uh, fourteen in the last however many I'm games. Not good that at is math. One, I mean that's that is that's getting it done. I mean that that's the difference of you being ten games above five hundred or being five hundred, right? Maybe even below five hundred. Right. That that's that big of a swing, and uh, so the so the bullpen I think is taking this team from a competitive team to a team that's 10 games above 500 in first place. I think that's really probably the difference. Uh, and I, I've said it before, Nick Crawl deserves a hell of a lot of credit for this bullpen because the highest paid reliever is Buck Farmer making $1.75 million. You put together a bullpen like this with that amount of money, you deserve a lot of credit for it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, just, right. it's been an incredible, incredible run this season. It has. This team is, uh, is, a, is, is a team that is... One in which I don't think that you get all that often, largely because when expectations change, you don't have the joyful glee that you traditionally would have, right? You, you you almost become like kind of like a rich kid in a way, right? You start to you start to kind of just take for granted a lot of the the pleasures of life that most people don't have, you know. And I'm I'm, I'm being relatively serious when I say that because you can look at the expectations of what this team's going to have in two and three years, and people are going to be like, oh, if they don't make the if they don't make the championship series or they don't make the World Series, it's going to be a disappointment. Again, I'm going to try to guard myself from being like that because I think when you set expectations that high, you end up like the Mets, where it's just not a given. It's not a given to automatically be great. It's not a given to automatically be playing meaningful baseball like this. Hell, if any fan base knows it, or any franchise knows it, it's the Reds. It has been a long time since we've had a, a, a joyful season similar to this one. Yes, the shortened COVID year is one thing, but this is all different. This is this is completely different from the COVID year. I would argue this is even different from 2012. And it's it's um it's more or less because of the style of play that they have, and couple that with the fact that your expectations coming into this year, my expectations coming this year, were at an all-time low. And that's what makes this season special. And I don't care. I don't say I don't care. That'd be the wrong word. I'm going to try my best to guard against someone stealing the joy of what this season could be. You know what? If this team falls short in some capacity, I'm just going to try to harken back and say, on, on on July 31st, I mean, here soon we're going to be talking about August, Nick. Here soon, we're going to be talking about August. But on July 31st, I'm nervous. This is fun. I never in a million years expected this. And I, don't, I want to remind myself, keep reminding myself, like you should if you live in the United States of America, no offense to Yash, that you're a blessed person. I'm going to keep it moving. I got some super chats to get to after you, uh, after you give me some, some of your thoughts off that. Well, great tweet from uh, good follow Dan, uh, Dan Lanzalito. Uh, Reds enter August in first place. In the 21st century, here's the years that the Reds have been in first place on August 1st. 2006, 2010, 2012, 2023. <laughs> and we were supposed to lose almost 100 games this year. I mean, if you can't enjoy this, then I, I, I whatever, I what a run what a what a season you know and, and we've had a we, we've grinded through a lot of bad years and uh what you said i mean it's probably true i hate to say it probably almost anything that happens next year will be a disappointment right if we're being honest i mean maybe i i don't know if this team goes out and wins 90 some 90 plus games or but you that, start you that's start almost that's almost what the bar will be for it to be no i know and that's and that's not fair 
Yeah, and that's not fair. That's not fair. But you know what? You know what the beautiful thing in life is is you can set your own expectations. You don't have to go with the crowd. You can set whatever expectations you think that should happen. And if they fall below that, so be it. But again, uh, one of the greatest uh, advices I've gotten in my life, which I don't think that it's 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 great to live everything by this method. But when you set your expectations pretty low, Nick. Um, it's actually not all a bad thing. You can be pleasantly surprised a lot in your life. If you have a high expectations everywhere you go, you're probably going to be a little more disappointed than you normally would be. Let's talk about Sam Mole, right? Let's just let's let's get that out of the way now. People want to know who is this guy? He's coming from the athletics. Is he any good? Well, is he bad? I'd argue he's probably right in the middle of that. Nick, your thoughts on Sam Mole? All right, I got six paragraphs for you. Ready? I love it. Yeah, hit me with it. All right, left-handed relief pitcher, five foot nine, 31 years old, was a third-round pick of the Rockies back in 2013. He made it through every level with the Rockies, but was the Rockies were in need of a 40-man roster spot back in 2017. And since then, he bounced around in seven different organizations, got tossed through waivers, including getting selected twice in three days at one point. Got to pitch six and a third innings in 2017, but then went back down to the minors and didn't come back till, until 2021. But he has stayed in the major since 2021, has been a, a successful reliever. Uh, 3.69 ERA in 105 games since uh, 2021. This year, he's got a 4.54 ERA, but I, I really do think that's a little bit deceiving. He had one outing where he gave up five runs and only got one out. Take that out as the ERA is down to the mid threes. Peripheral numbers much better. Expected ERA is 3.03. Fielding independent pitching at 3.25. And since May 24th, he's got an ERA of 3.80. Fielding independent pitching of 2.11. Striking out over 13 batters per nine innings. Only walking two and a half. And he doesn't give a lot of home runs, which you love at Great American Ballpark. He gets lefties out. 197 average against. 557 average against against lefties. 71 plate appearance this year. Uh, he primarily throws a sweeper and a sinker. Over 80% of his pitches are those two. Sinker's at 94. The fastball that he doesn't throw as much is at 95. He gets a lot of weak contact. And like I mentioned, he struggled with walks earlier in the year. But since uh, middle of May, he's really figured that out and been really good uh, with his control. Nice thing for the Reds. Reds have him under team control through 2027. I mean, at 31 years old probably unlikely he actually you know you you hang on to him that long um but but the next two years he'll be making the league minimum so even if like he's only a two-year guy he's making the league minimum that's that's huge for you know your team building next year all that kind of stuff he's not just a a two-month rental um and then of course what the reds gave up reds gave up their 28th ranked prospect joe boyle uh we've we've mentioned joe boyle a million times on this show a guy that i i like um, he's an incredible talent, could throw over 100, strikes out a ton of batters, but he's walking over eight batters per nine innings. Did that last year as well. And then Bryce Spalding brought up a really good point. Reds would have had to have added Joe Boyle to the 40-man roster this offseason, which would have been difficult because I don't think Joe Boyle is going to, you'd expect him to go in the majors next year, right? Um, right. And, and so that that's kind of where he would have become a, a player that, you would have had to make a tough decision with, do we let him just hold a 40-man roster spot for the next year, two years, however long it takes him to develop? I mean, Joe Boyle's the kind of guy that you could look back in in two years and be like, damn, we gave up a really, really good talented pitcher. Or it could be a guy that never figures out and never even makes the major leagues. Right. I have no idea. 
I can't imagine there's a single person that, that evaluates baseball that has any idea how this guy's career will will uh will, will traject. He's just he's an absolute wild card. But you get a pitcher, you get some control, you get a guy that is a the Reds needed a lefty reliever more than they needed a starter. Um, and I'm not just saying that to, because they did it. I said this last week. They they needed a lefty reliever, a true lefty reliever. Um, when you're talking, you know, this is the guy that, you know, when you're facing a team like Christian, they don't play the Brewers again, but this would have been a great guy to have against Christian Yelich. Like whoever a team's best left-handed bat is, Max Muncy. Max Muncy had two home runs against us on, uh, sure. on Saturday, right? You, you have that situation again. Luke Weaver's not facing Max Muncy a second time. You're bringing in this guy to get him, and he's been dominant against lefties. Yeah, or, or you're bringing in Alex Young in the, in those spots as well because Alex Young right now is kind of like the sacred piece, right, where 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 I think David Bell's hesitant to use Alex Young in the sixth inning, definitely in the fifth inning because he's, he's, he's taking a calculated risk that he might need to use Alex Young in the eighth inning instead of the sixth inning. Now, I'm not suggesting that that, that opens up David Bell's arsenal every single time, but it certainly is going to help uh, a significant amount when it comes to doing the lefty-lefty matchups. Um, we'll see where it goes. I don't know uh, if you could even say that the Reds gave up a lot. I know they gave up a high-risk, high-reward type guy. Uh, Boyles in, in, it was in a spot in his career where probably in my opinion the next year and a half if he doesn't figure it out I don't say no one's going to give him a chance but it's going to be one of those things where I don't think that uh he's feast or famine it's as simple as that man and and you know what it doesn't mean I've said this before Nick it doesn't even mean that I'm rooting against Boyle now since he went to the A's you know what I'm saying like that's one thing that I always find weird about like people that judge trade sometimes it's like when you go to a whole nother organization I've said this before it doesn't always mean that, that that you would have had the same same success and or same failures at the other place that you would have had as a, in a Reds organization. The Reds are in a spot right now, Nick, where they made starting pitching a priority in this last draft. You know, they, they, there's no doubt that they think that their first and second round draft picks this year are probably going to be in a position where they're going to help them a little bit quicker than the normal per se high school draftee. And Boyle, you already said he had to he had to be out of the forty man. I'm rooting for Boyle still. I'd like to see him figure it out. Just because he's not in Red's uniform, I don't think we should root against him now and be like, "Oh, see, we won the trade." You know, sometimes it's kind of fun to flex uh, on trades like the CES, Will Benson, and Spencer Steer for uh, Jake Fraley. Yeah, well, I was talking about one trade. You're talking about maybe another one. I also want one single trade, but that's here nor there. So we'll see what happens. I think that it's an opportunity for for the Reds to to show the fan base in a little bit of a way, even though this isn't what Nick Kroll's doing. And I I know I don't think Nick Kroll gives a holy. I'm going to try to keep it clean. Skid show. I don't think Nick Kroll cares about our feelings, and he shouldn't. He shouldn't be out here trying to prove that the Reds are serious or the Reds aren't serious. They have to or the or this management, this front office slash let's call it. Let's call it um, ownership group. Their commitment level will be found out in the offseason. I, I truly believe that. And the following offseason. And maybe you could make the argument the following deadline. I don't think that you could make a judgment on, well, this, this front office and this ownership group isn't serious based off what they do at this deadline. That's not fair. We, shouldn't, we should not do that. We shouldn't do that. If we're good fans, we're not going to do that. More trades. You have it on there. Verlander's been speculative. We talked about it yesterday pretty good at length. I don't want to do that again, but I have a feeling they got something. I did see that there was, a, I don't know if it was Rosenthal 
or law. I'm not sure who it was, but somebody uh, obviously made it known that the Reds are, I think it was the Reds and the Orioles, were the two teams that were the most aggressive teams on the market right now looking for a starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Reds are still looking for a starting pitcher. I think Nick Kroll is not going to give in, and I don't think Nick Kroll should give in. Uh, I don't think you have to get a starting pitcher. I think if you can find one that makes sense where you're not mortgaging your future, then go for it. If not, stand pat. We got a pretty good team. We we you got Sam Sam Mole. He, he fills a huge need for this team. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens tomorrow. I'm fascinated to see. It, it, Trace, it wouldn't to me. I wouldn't be shocked if the Reds do absolutely nothing. I wouldn't be shocked if the Reds pull off a trade. I could see it right. really going either way, and I'm not just saying that to be. You know, um, I I genuinely feel that I'm I'm more fascinated to see do the Reds deal, uh, Sinzel Newman or uh, I don't think Fairchild, but Sinzel or Newman. I think that's the more maybe fascinating piece. Um, I'm interested. I I don't, I don't know. I'm the the India India being hurt kind of uh, is a real yeah, wrench into whole, the whole the whole plans here. So hey, listen, I- India being hurt. Definitely, definitely helps, or not helps, excuse me. India being hurt definitely makes the depth of this offense rear its ugly head a little bit. And tonight, if you want to get, you want to, you want to, you want to have some fun and laugh a little bit, this is a little bit of a joke, but I'm being a little bit serious. Tonight would have been nice to have three catchers. And the reason I say that is because I really, I really, I really wanted. I really wanted Newman to pinch hit for Maley right there. Um, the reason for it is is that I, Newman's going to put the ball in play. That was a big run on third base. It felt like a big run on third base. No offense to Maley. I, 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 I know that Maley had a good game. I know Maley's overall been okay, but from a strikeout-prone perspective, Maley up here, up here, Newman down here. I would have liked to see someone put the ball in play right there. If they had three catchers, there's no doubt in my mind, in my opinion, they would have pinch hit for Maley. They had to put Newman in there. That might have led to a run. You got Stevenson and or probably, to be honest, Casale would have caught in that situation because it's a it's more of a defensive replacement. And it, it and you know what? That would have worked out. But that's not what happened. And instead, um we survived in advance regardless without the three catchers. But I want to at least it I I at least want to Pull it up for a guy that's made fun of the three catchers for a long time. I at least want to say it could have worked out one time, Nick. I'm so happy. I'm so happy yeah. right now. Just because, just because you, just because you go to McDonald's, Nick. Okay, and they got hot fries for you doesn't mean they're going to get hot fries all the time. You know, don't sit here and act like the three catcher thing's a great idea all the time because it would have worked out one single time. All right, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. You know who has three catchers right now? The Chicago Cubs have three catchers. Yeah, yeah. Um, working out for you'll them. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see three catchers again uh, uh, September first, and okay. then uh, the Reds will have three catchers in the playoffs because you only need to carry like eleven pitchers, so you'll have that extra spot. So, our boy Casali, I think, is just gonna <laughs> gonna be on the IL till uh, till September first. He's gonna magically be healed and. Uh, We'll we'll be back in business. 
Yeah, I, I do think a trade's coming. I do think I I don't I, I do think a trade's coming. I don't know what you do with I, I. It just doesn't make sense to hold on to a guy like Newman or Senzel. In my opinion, I could be wrong. I'd much rather have Stuart Fairchild on the on the big league roster because I think he provides a little more asset. I think he provides a little more help. Defensive. Can we talk about something? And this isn't being negative. Listen, chat. I'm being dead honest. And people in the podcast, I'm not being negative when I bring this up. But we had two balls tonight that you could make the argument that if you had an above average defender in the outfield, they would have been caught. Instead, they were doubles. One was in right field. And and, and, and make no mistake, I am not suggesting these balls should have been caught. I am suggesting that if there was an above average defender in the outfield, they probably would have been caught. The ball that Friedel misplayed and also the ball that misplayed is the wrong word. You get my point here. He didn't make the play in center field, and then obviously Fraley didn't make the play in right field, and some of that has to do with the fact that the the IV, some of that has to do with the fact that it's a little bit, you know, unfamiliar territory per se. It's the first game in a series. But my point is, is that defense matters, and I think Stuart Fairchild, if he's not the best defender in the outfield, Nick, he's probably pretty damn close. Uh, just making it all, I mean, uh, you know, one on the three catchers, one on Stuart Fairchild. I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm as happy as a lark, Trace. I, I, I've come around on Stuart Fairchild. I mentioned this months ago, months ago, months ago. He's a good player. I, I think I, he brings I, more value than Senzel. Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, Senzel just can play third base. That's really the only. Yeah, I don't. is that yeah. really that big of a deal? Yeah, I mean, Fairchild's a great base runner, good fielder. Um, yeah. I still think there's some potential there. Yeah, I'm not, and again, I'm not suggesting, but for one iota that that uh, Fairchild's like a he's a he's a he's a guaranteed superstar or something. I'm not suggesting that. I just from from a from a from a perspective of like who would you rather have? I much rather have Stuart Fairchild, and that's no offense. That that's more of an affinity. Let me be very clear when I say this. That's more of an affinity for Stuart Fairchild than it is a knock against Senzel. Like, I don't think Sinzel's done really anything that would make me be like, oh, he's, he's horrible. Get him out of here. I just think that, the, again, Fairchild makes routine, not routine, but he makes plays in the outfield look a lot easier than they truly are because he's a good outfielder. So, anyway. But the one thing that, that when India comes back, what happens? You know what my answer is. Are, are we doing this? I, I, I'm not, I, this is, this isn't. Golly, this isn't me like wanting to be a hate. I'm not trying to like start. I'm not trying to stir the pot. I'm just asking the genuine question. What happens when he comes back? I don't think it'll be a problem when he comes back because I think one of of three things will happen. Someone gets hurt. You stop with that. Would you stop with that? You've been saying that all year about the catchers. It's not happened yet. It's not happened. It just hasn't happened. Sally's on the aisle. Oh, bullshit. That's roster manipulation, and you know it. Don't sit here and act like, let's not front for our organization. We'll call a spade a spade on this show. Do you want to sit here and act like, oh, yeah, uh, let me tell you something. Newman the other day, he didn't have gastritis. Get get the guy some Pepto-Bismol, and he'll be perfectly fine okay but you know what happened they're like damn we got to figure this out what happens oh newman you got a problem what's your problem the wheel stops it's like the wheel of lunch the wheel stops and boom gastritis they're like oh casali what's that and then he's like what do you mean and they throw a weight down on his foot it hits his foot and he's like damn what'd you do that for he's like oh you're on the 10 day il you got a foot problem 
That's what they're doing down there, and I, I'm, I'm for it. I'm not saying there's a problem, but let's not sit here and act like there's an injury with our catchers. All right, I really should have done this. There's three options, and I should have saved injury for the last one because I All think right. it would have came across, across the whole lot better. That was on me. It was on me. It was on me. <laughs> All right, so so well, let's start over. Let's start, let's start afresh. One of three things happen. Either, number one, there's a glaring offensive hole, and India can fix it, right? CES doesn't hit. Vado doesn't hit. Fill in whoever else. Someone. Both, both guys. Both helping. guys have been hitting lately. Well, CES had a good yeah. game today. But go ahead. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm saying, it's, it's, it sounds like Indy is going to be out for several weeks at least at this point. There could be a production that that clearly solves itself, and there's a spot. Number two could be there isn't. <laughs> no one has any problems, and you know what? It kind of makes it a lot easier to say, "Hey, Jonathan, I'm sorry. There's just not a spot for you. Everyone's hitting right now. We're not messing with it. We did that earlier. We didn't mess with it and take you out of the lineup. We're not messing with it now." Or the third one is, you know, the other option that could happen. And I should have saved that for third at the beginning. Sure. Injuries could happen. I'm not naive to that. So from now on. But I, I don't if think it's going to be an issue. I'm not saying it's going to be an issue. It's just that um, it is, it's, just, it's a wild statement. This is a wild team, man. It's a wild statement when Spencer Sear says that second base is his most natural position. He feels like he, he feels the most comfortable there. I don't know. I that uh, maybe that's just a, a, an off the cuff comment that he meant. You know, I don't think he means much by it, but it's just like if that's the case, then that, up. that makes some things interesting. That makes some things a little interesting because there for a while, I think we were all assuming the Spencer Steer was going to play maybe left field, and then you realized okay, maybe he's going to play first base. Now, all right, he's going to go back to third base. Now he's playing second base with Indy out, and now he's saying in his mind he feels like he's the most comfortable there. One thing that Spencer Steer is going to have to start doing, and again, it's fair for him to be a rookie to have some struggles, but he's going to have to start being a little more offensively productive here relatively soon uh, to warrant him being in the lineup every single day. Um, I don't know your thoughts on that, but but do you have any any comments on him saying that he feels the most comfortable at second base at all? Well, the numbers back that up. That's why I'm glad you brought that up because when I when I saw the lineup today, I was like, you know, this actually makes sense because I've been a big let's play Elliott shortstop thing, and this gives you an opportunity to play him at shortstop. Right. But but Spencer Steer minus four outs above average at third base, minus six above average outs above average at first base. Now I've cautioned you all along. Don't right. don't put too much stock into small samples, but that's the only sample I have to go on. And you also need to mention he's kind of moved all over the place so it, it's not fair to say this is exactly what he is at third base or first base but the only numbers we have say he hasn't been a very good defensive player at either one of those spots so i you know the reds they know him better they saw him play in the minor leagues at different positions and he played all over the place in the minor leagues it very well might make sense that he's that your best defense right now would be with him at second base uh so i i don't i don't mind that that part of it at all i, I think spencer steer eventually is going to be that that guy that does have to move all around unless he just sticks at first base, unless he hits so well right. that he becomes an everyday first baseman and works on that defensively. Because it's Marte, Ellie, McLean, and I, I, I won't listen to anything else. That's the future. That's what's happening. Right. And uh, everyone, everyone else is going to have to work their way around that. Yeah, and the, uh, the other point I would make, too, is if, if CES can play first base as well as he's looked at first base – 
I think that you I think that you ride with that. And that, that's all saying that CES actually hits, you know, the way that we expect him to come to be a major league hitter. Um and I and I have full full confidence that that will happen. However, you know, never things can think crazier things have happened. If CES can play first base as well as he's played, I would really like to save that DH spot cuz I am a real stickler with that DH spot in in in, in regards to the whole defensive thing, right? Like there's just not that many opportunities for guys that are really disgusting and or not very good defensively to have a real huge impact on a team. And the DH spot is one of the few positions that you can just, you know, there it is. That's what it's made for. CES having the power and the pop that he could possibly have, but also have the defensive acumen that he could possibly have makes him valuable there. That's where you start to ask the question, okay, where does steer fit in, in the mold? That's a conversation for another day. I'm not worried about it. Marte's still in AAA. I know that you're high on him. We should be high on him. We should come to expect great things out of him. But until he does it at a major league level, I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, you know, he's automatically in the, in the infield. Now, I, I get why you say that, and you've not been wrong on many of these guys that have come up so far. So, you know, kudos to you in regards to that. But, but again, let's just worry about that for another day. My main point was, if Steer plays second base at a pretty high level and he's hitting the ball, there's really only one spot left for Jonathan India to play, in my opinion. And that is DH. Yeah, this year. This year. I'm talking about right now. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I thought it was something interesting. I mean, it was it was more or less interesting because Steer said, to, said that he feels comfortable there. If he didn't feel comfortable there, that would, that would kind of... And you know what? I do want to say this about Jonathan India. I think he's gotten he's gotten better as a defender at second base. I really do think that. I I, I do I think he's horrible? No. Do I think he's below average? Yes. Do I think he's a guy that 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 when you when you account for all the guys that we have, is he one of the guys that I would be putting at second base all the time? Probably not. I get the tenure thing. I get the leadership thing to a small extent. But 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 point is, is if you're trying to put the best lineup out there, I don't know if he's really the guy you put at second base. So at you know at the end of it, maybe just maybe Jonathan Indy ends up being our DH. We'll see. That's here nor there. I was just gonna add. I mean, I think there probably would be some like starts at second base for. India like in September when he comes back but if you're talking about a playoff team Jonathan Indy is your DH in the playoffs you're not playing him in the field but that's the only thing I would maybe add to that as always who what when where and why Nick all right big trade deadline tomorrow we'll see what happens during the day but at 805 Reds and Cubs game two of the four game series Reds will be going up against all-star Justin Steele having a great year, 11-3, 2 2.87 ERA. However, Steele has a career 8.34 ERA against the Cincinnati Reds and had one of his worst starts of the year against the Cincinnati Reds when he gave up 10 hits and six runs in three and two-thirds innings. We talked about a little earlier about some of the guys that might be in the lineup tomorrow, some of the platoon guys. Well, Newman, he's three for six with two doubles. Sinzel's four for seven. Stevenson, five for seven. Spencer Steer is two for three against Justin Steele. And for the Reds, it'll be Ben Lively, who has just been incredible since he came back off the IL back on July 9th. Four starts. He's got an ERA of an even three. And Ben Lively has never pitched in Wrigley Field. So this will be a new experience for Ben Lively. Looking forward to it tomorrow night.
as we should. All right. Well, today, Tuesday, is the trade deadline. I, Nick Kirby, I'll be on Off the Bench at 10.15 on Chatterbox Sports on YouTube. Off the Bench runs Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 noon. Uh, So be sure to check that out, talking about what the Reds might be doing at the trade deadline um, and having a good time as always. And then if there's any Reds news that breaks in the afternoon, myself and Trace Fowler plan to go live on YouTube as soon as that news breaks. So we'll stay tuned. We uh, will we'll be watching closely. And if the Reds make a trade, we will be going live on YouTube on Chatterbox Sports. So, of course, make sure you subscribe to Chatterbox Sports on YouTube. Couldn't recommend more. Hit that bell in the top right corner. That'll turn on notifications. So if we do go live, you will be notified and you can join us right away. Well, I hope that you have a fantastic Tuesday. Enjoy monitoring the trade deadline situation. Uh, We will, of course, be also live after Reds Cubs uh, at uh, probably around 1030 or so on YouTube. Of course, if you missed that, like every single morning, Chatterbox Reds in podcast form, always available bright and early the morning after every game. So it'll be available on Wednesday morning for you in your podcast feed. Well, have a great day. We'll talk again soon. Go Reds.